Hey, funny people. Thanks for joining me here on this episode of Four Cents of Podcast. We're going to have some fun because I've got something to talk about. So stay tuned. Hello, funny people, and welcome back to Four Cents a Podcast. This is your host, Ian Martinez Kassmeyer, coming to you fully vaccinated and happy to be alive. So, how's everyone else's pandemic been? Because uh, mine was a lot busier than I expected it to be. Let's see, what can I tell you? Um, well, first off, I. You know, I have a day job in taxes, and so I managed to successfully survive the second worst tax season I think I've ever had. Uh, you know, I would say last year was the worst because we had to do all this stuff on the fly, and we had to take into account all that wonderful insanity that was the COVID precautions. Uh, but it was nice not having to deal with clients in person so much, just dealing with them on the phone and dealing with them through emails. (laughs) Uh, This year, we've had to deal with a lot more of them in person, unfortunately, but uh, for the most part, they've been fairly docile. Most of them have not been cranky like they normally are, although a few of them, of course, said this once before, and I will say it until the day I die, the worst thing you can give to somebody who is a procrastinator is more time because they will use it but we survived we're now into extension season and I'll have more of those fun stories coming my way but beyond that I've also been busy doing not just you know the special episodes on this podcast I've been busy doing a lot of writing Those of you who've been following the show kind of in hiatus will know that I basically have come on here four or five different times doing promos for different anthologies. As a matter of fact, as I'm recording this, I've got all of the books that I have had stories published in sitting next to me. Good Lord, Starcrossed, In the Red Room, Beneath the Twin Suns, The New Normal. I honestly didn't expect this pandemic to be as full of stuff for me to do. I honestly expected to either be dead or to be curled up into a, you know, in the fetal position, just panicking the entire time. But instead, here I am, fully vaccinated. I have survived, just like the rest of you listening to this. Or I hope most of you, those of you who have not gotten vaccinated, why? That's my only question. Why? At this point, seriously. Like, I understand if you're a little bit reticent about getting vaccinated because you don't like shots. Guess what? I don't like shots. I hate shots. We've gone over this. (laughs) I despise getting shots, but I got the shots because, you know what I realized? The pain of getting a needle stuck into my arm is temporary compared to the agonies of death. Death is, you know, as Tyrion Lannister said in Game of Thrones, death is so finite, whereas life is full of possibilities. And I like possibilities. I like living. How about you? But of course, here in the United States, where I'm at, we're still dealing with uh, plenty of insanity going on, for instance. um, Oh yeah, that whole insanity about the anti-vaxxers. People saying, you know, they don't want to get vaccinated because they're worried that the government's going to pump a microchip into their arm. Dumbasses. That's what they are. They're dumbasses. You're already carrying a tracking chip in your pocket. It's called your cell phone, you dumb motherfucker. (laughs) Oh, God. And now, of course, they've been lifting the mask mandates all over the country. And, of course, the first people who immediately acquiesce to that are probably the people who have not been vaccinated and have no intention of being vaccinated. You know, there's this uh, riddle from childhood. Well, it's not a riddle. An anecdote that I remember from when I was a kid uh, about two people who go into a grocery store and they're together for a little while, and then suddenly they get separated. They're stuck in two separate aisles. Uh, 
and one of them thinks, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll wait right here, and they'll come and get me. And then they both end up staying there the entire night because both of them had the exact same thought. I'll wait right here and wait for them to come and get me. Which meant that nothing got done. And that's what these anti-vaxxer people are like in my head. Is they're just... They, they believe that if everyone else except them gets the vaccine, then they'll be safe by default because the variants will have, you know, we'll have reached herd immunity. But the New York Times even stated that there's apparently not enough people being vaccinated right now in the United States to reach that. They posted, they, they did a story about it several months ago. <sighs> this is why, you know, I honestly, I'm not surprised at this because, you know, I went to public school growing up and when I was in public school, Everybody in the class suffered when the fuck up fucked up. When the weakest link in the chain, when the idiot, when the one who was, you know, the the one who was not ever going to do anything right, did nothing right, everybody suffered. Everybody got punished because of this one idiot who just could not keep his trap shut. And it was almost always a he. Every so often it was a she, but more often it was a he. I blame the testosterone. Uh, so that that's the situation we're living in now. But I, but you know, fundamentally, I'm just happy to be back. I'm happy to be back. I'm glad that you were happy enough to join me. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the podcast this past Wednesday of the new season, the first new official Reader's Corner of this season, and I hope you'll continue to join me uh, throughout the rest of this. So let me introduce you, now that I've gotten all that off my chest, let me introduce you to the main little monologue that I'm going to share with you today. This was a monologue that I recorded a couple of months back when um, I was still kind of in the height of uh, the fervor of the election. And I, I didn't write it. I sort of just improved it into the microphone and just recorded it for posterity because I thought that it was important enough for me to get off my chest. But I was in this kind of weird fury because I was paying way too close attention to politics at the time. Uh, you know, the the United States election, we don't need to talk about that, but, you know, everything that was going on over here leading up to the January 6th insurrection and, you know, insurrection, whatever. What are they calling it? A riot? I can't remember. Anyway, so I was was really bristly and prickly and probably a little bit more out there than I normally am with my own personal political opinions because I don't like projecting those all that much but uh, one of the things that I was really happy about at the time was uh, the a lot of the talk that was going on about um, increasing the strength of the unions and also uh, possibly raising teachers pay we were having the minimum wage conversation that we needed to have on the federal level for a long time that was finally an item in play Uh, And uh, we've since discovered that it's kind of petered out. But uh, the good news is, is that people are now getting hired, you know, essential workers are finally getting hired again with higher pay. You know, apparently McDonald's, those workers are being offered 15 bucks an hour. Chipotle was the one who started that trend. That's amazing. They were acquiescing to what workers wanted because there were so many jobs that people that these companies needed to fill and nobody was taking them for good reason because they knew that if they took them right out of the gate they were basically going to walk back into the same situation they walked back out of several months ago um because of course you know we spent all that time praising these people who worked in fast food worked in uh retail who worked you know as truckers these manual labor workers who do as we point out, essential work, and yet we treat them like scum because we think that everybody could do that job, therefore the job is not worth the money, any more money than we already pay them, which is stupid. It's stupid. It's an asinine argument. 
And I'm so glad that the big employers are finally realizing that. People are not going to come back because they now have recognized what their value is. And their value is is that if they don't do this job, if nobody steps into this role, the work doesn't get done, the company doesn't make money. The sad thing is, of course, is that several retail workers, several retail outlets, including some ice cream shop apparently up in Pittsburgh, has been paying, has started paying people 15 bucks an hour voluntarily. And uh, not only have they seen an increase in people's productivity and less surliness from a lot of their employees, but they've seen little to no difference in their bottom line. Meaning that this could have happened years ago if employers were not evil, if corporations were not evil. But it's happening now, and that's the important thing. I'm sad that it took a pandemic for people to start realizing that they're worth more than $7.25 an hour in some states. But I'm happy it's happening. Hopefully it applies to a lot more in the future. So anyway, this is... This was, this was me before I came to the kind of happy place that I'm in now, um, this monologue. I'm calling it Hold Out Hope But Don't Hold Your Breath. And there's a brief little interlude, there's two little interludes that come before and after, because, um, like I said, I was very prickly when I recorded this, and so as a result, I, got, I was getting into a lot of fights on Twitter, which is not good. Not good for me, it's not good for my mental health, it's not good for anybody else, because... When you're in a fit of peak, you're not thinking straight, unfortunately. Uh, So I do kind of tattle on myself on this, but that's okay. You know, everybody needs to be taken down a peg every once in a while. So here it is. Hold out hope, but don't hold your breath. Enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you for joining me here on Four Cents of Podcast again. And I hope, you know, we all can have a little bit of fun. up this really bad habit lately of getting into fights with people online and I do mean fights when I say fights I mean fights as in we if we were in the same room with each other while we were having this argument whatever it would be it would turn into a full-on bar fight you know breaking glass bottles to use as shanks to try and stab each other breaking chairs over each other's heads just straight up ugly mess and I, I gotta stop doing it. I really do. Either that or people have to stop being so damn stupid. I mean, for Christ's sake, it's the internet. It's a glorified encyclopedia. It's the ultimate library. It's the information highway. It's the ultimate repository of all human knowledge. And you have to come in here sounding like an absolute stupid motherfucker. And annoy the crap out of me to the point where I have to say something to correct you on your false facts. Oh, God. You know, just, we're on the internet, so use it to educate yourself for your sake, if not mine, because you'll be doing the world a favor. Hey, Bob. What? Looks like we got a little bit of a problem. Oh, goody, what is it this time? It's only the second episode of the second season, and we've already got an issue. What's the problem? Well, uh, the union rep just called in, and he wanted to know if uh, any of the workers had suffered any kind of uh, maltreatment or any issues, whether they liked their dental plan or anything. What? Yeah, uh, he's just doing a little survey downstairs, and, uh, well, uh, it's, uh, it's causing a delay. A delay? The union rep is causing a delay in production. Yeah, uh, what, what should we do? Oh, Jesus, well... I guess we're just gonna have to put on a commercial until everyone gets done with their little survey. Okay, um, just... Give me a second. Uh, sorry, folks. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsor.
This episode of Four Cents a Podcast is brought to you today by the NALA, the National Association of Limerick Aficionados. At NALA, our members revel in the saucy, suggestive, body, and raunchy world of language. We compose, archive, and celebrate the glory that is the Limerick. Join us online at nala.org and sign up for our free weekly newsletter where you'll receive a new Limerick every week straight to your smartphone or computer. This week's Limerick is a real kicker. There was an old writer from Maine who thought that his readers were tame until one of them arrived and tried to skin him alive and he said, geez, these folks are insane. Visit nala.org for more linguistic fun today. So very recently I got into another one of my little spats online, although it didn't escalate into something more serious, thank God, because I'm not an idiot. Well, I am an idiot because I get into them in the first place. Uh, So this was an interaction that I recently had on Twitter. And it was something kind of uh, frivolous, or at least that's what I thought it was. And uh, when I'm on Twitter, for the most part, I just try to be there to have fun and to connect with people who are in the writing community. That's where I normally hang out with a lot of other you know, indie writers, the people who I, I've done the anthologies with uh, all come from that community, and I'm, I'm lucky to have them, and I'm glad to be a part of it. But I had this. This happened, and it happens sometimes when I mean something flippantly, people take it a little bit too seriously. So let me tell you the story. So somebody I follow uh, who lives in New Zealand, she's an artist and she's a writer, I'm not going to tell you who any of these people are, by the way, because I'm not Elia Kazan. I don't name names. But she uh, tweeted something out kind of interesting that I had begun to notice, too. She, she said, and I will quote her verbatim because I have the tweet in front of me. She said, I've noticed something. Some authors with massive how-to-write channels on YouTube with multiple instructive videos, when you go to read their books, their own work doesn't hold up to what they dish out. I find this very strange, parentheses, this doesn't apply to all, though. And she's right. That was something that I noticed. Um, For those of you who don't know, on YouTube, there is this block of channels, um, the BookTube channels, and some of them are uh, reviewers, some of them are super nerds who get into uh, analyzing a lot of fantasy books, especially, but books in general. A lot of them are just, you know, book enthusiasts who are telling you what they're reading and introduce you to authors. But there's also a subsection of these uh, booktubers who are purported to be experts in the writing field, who have kind of a, a form of insider information and have a history of you know, working within the world of traditional publishing. Some of them are editors, freelance editors, and former editors at big publishing houses. Some of them are agents. Some of them are working writers. You know, so there's a, there's a huge cross-section of these people. And a lot of them give what I would call prescriptive advice. Basically, you know, doing the BuzzFeed listicle thing of 10 things you should do with your novel to make it sellable, or 10 things you should do with your novel to make an agent fall in love with it on page one, or vice versa, 10 things you shouldn't do if you want an agent to pick up your book and read it to the end, you know, stuff like that. Now, I should point out that I've never read or I haven't read very many of these books, but I have noticed, um, and it's just a a fact of life, that everybody sometimes gives advice that they don't necessarily follow on their own. You know what I mean? They they don't follow their own advice. Um, The reason why people give advice and don't take it is because it's free, which means it's not worth anything, or at least that's the way it's been in in my life. So I just went ahead and, and noticed this and was trying to have a, you know, fun, funny little interaction, so I replied to that tweet with the following tweet, 
that no longer exists, by the way. I took it down after this, but I'll get to why in just a second. I replied with this. Those who can do, those who can't teach. Okay, it's not the most original fucking thought in the world. I know that. I know that. As a matter of fact, I think there's a bumper sticker with that on it. Um, I think The Simpsons made a joke about it. So it's been around the block a few times. But I thought no more about it. But later that day, somebody who I don't follow but follows this other person, a dude, I might point out, um who apparently is mutuals with this person uh, who I was replying to, subsequently did what's called a, a quote tweet. That's a thing for those of you who don't know, use Twitter. Come on, how many of you don't use Twitter? Give me a break. Um, that's where you retweet somebody and then add your own commentary over what you're retweeting. And so that person who clearly must have read my tweet and took it seriously rather than humorously, which is what I was going for, uh, replied with this. Only people who don't know how to teach say this, though. They're totally different things, and only shitbags use this phrase. Anyone with a brain knows better than to denigrate a teacher. But that's not where he stopped. He then went on and turned his uh, quoted tweet into a full-blown tweet without giving any context, and basically went on a little mini-rant with the uh, phrase. And he tweeted this, If you use the phrase, those who can do, those who can't teach, my opinion of you drops drastically. Same as anyone who says, What, you think a janitor should make as much as a doctor? It's the laziest thinking imaginable. Bumper sticker wisdom rarely is. Now, in his defense, he's making a good point. As a matter of fact, we agree. There's a lot of mental overlap between the two, our two heads. You know, we, we are on the same wavelength. But here's the thing, folks. I don't like being attacked. And I especially don't like it when um, I'm attacked on a, what is technically a public forum on Twitter. Uh, I don't think anybody does. Uh, even it's, if it's to be called out on your bullshit. Um, and I, I need people to call me out on my bullshit because I'm just as full of shit as everybody else because that's how digestion works. So I, I took umbrage at what he said. Not at being called a shitbag, <laughs> because trust me, I've been called worse. When you carry yourself with the kind of attitude I carry myself through the world, which is not to take things all too seriously people tend to think you're kind of a dick. As a matter of fact, I've been called a dick. There's somebody else on Twitter who I made one of these kind of semi-flippant comments to when they were not in a mood to read anything flippantly. I'm not entirely sure what was wrong with them, but they were clearly not in a good mood, and they called me a dick. Um, and fair enough. Fair enough. You know, you can, you can have that opinion about me, but here's also the thing. <laughs> he says, I love the fact that he says, my opinion of you drops dramatically. Um, I, I would like to point out again that this guy and me don't follow each other. We have mutuals in common, and clearly we have a lot of values in common, um, believing that uh, teachers need to be paid more and need to be valued more than they are, at least in the United States. But um, mm, what really drove me up the wall and uh, what caused me to react very violently to this was to be accused of that. Like I said, I didn't care if he called me a shitbag. I don't follow this guy. He doesn't follow me. Uh, I'm not going to say that I would never follow this guy now after this, because if he gives me a reason to do so, I will perfectly, I'm, you know, I'm perfectly amicable to, uh, to change. Um, give me a reason to follow you. You know, if you're an interesting person, that's great. Um, but don't be a douchebag. <laughs> um, and, and also, to be fair to him, uh, you know, to call bullshit on myself again, to be fair to him, Twitter is the worst medium ever for getting to know somebody. Because it leaves, first of all, because of the character limit, um, it's almost impossible to engage in an actual conversation with people on there. It's basically just a whole bunch of town criers standing in the middle of the town square screaming at each other 
and nobody's listening to anybody. You know, it, it's all bunch of people slowly recovering from their own childhoods in public. That's what it is. That's what Twitter is. Um, but it is what it is, and we all use it, and we all kind of enjoy it for different reasons. So for me, the hard part about this was not being called a shitbag, was not being called out, because again, I don't mind being called out, and we don't follow each other. So quite honestly, to get back to what I was saying before, before I distracted myself, I don't give a fuck what he thinks of me. And that's a good, healthy attitude to have. People who you don't know, their opinions should not matter to you, because you don't know them. It's one thing to have, you know, to, to have somebody who knows you and, and understands you. It, it's one thing for them to have an opinion about you. Okay, because there's a relationship there. This guy and I, no relationship. So I honestly don't give a shit if he calls me a shitbag. <laughs> what I take umbrage at and took umbrage at initially to continue the thread of the story was being accused of lazy thinking and of being accused of denigrating teachers. And I did not react well to that. You might say I was triggered by that. Triggered on a visceral level. And here's the thing, folks. Reacting and doing anything out of emotion is terrible. It's a terrible thing to do. Never do anything until your reason has kicked back in because I guarantee you, you will do something when you are acting out of emotion that you will regret later on. Um, as I probably almost did. So, my initial reaction to this was to reply to his first tweet, the one where he quoted me, and call him out and, off, and, and, and challenge him to engage with me in a dialogue. But it's, it was abundantly clear, I left it up there for about half an hour, and it was abundantly clear that he was not going to do that because he's probably more mature than I am. So in the end, I decided it's not worth my time or energy. So what I did is I deleted the reply, and I deleted the original tweet that he quoted. So you can't find it anywhere. You can't find it anywhere out there. I just took it down because I realized, you know what, this, this is not worth my time, it's not worth my energy. And this is the wrong place to clarify these things. Because like I said, Twitter is the worst platform ever to clarify these things. Um, so many people have gotten in trouble, and this is just my first personal experience of doing that, have gotten in trouble by putting things out on Twitter that have then been taken seriously, that have then been had things read into them. Here's, here's another thing, you cannot you cannot control how people read the things you put out there into the world. This is a challenge that every single writer, every single creative person who's ever done anything worthwhile in their lives, they've never been able to control how people interact with their work. And it's the same with tweets. You cannot control how people read your stuff. If they're in a certain frame of mind, they're going to have a certain reaction. And clearly this was not the reaction I hoped people would have. But it happened. It happened, and, you know, so be it. I decided to disengage from it once my reason had kicked back in. But the accusation of denigrating teachers still rankled with me. The accusation of lazy thinking rankled with me. Knowing that I couldn't go out there on Twitter and clarify things because like I said terrible place to do it limited character count you don't have all the room in the world to explain things so th there's a piece a part of the piece that you're about to listen to where I finally do clarify things try and explain this whole thing away because like I said this guy and I we have similar values and how we feel teachers have been shafted in at least American society, possibly in other parts of the world, but especially in American society, and how it needs to be rectified. Um, and I hope that this piece does clarify things. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's amusing, and I hope that... Um, you understand why there's a certain amount of vitriol in my voice. It's not just from this. 
it's also from just the subject that I'm talking about, which is the, the rise, the, the debate, the ongoing debate here in the United States about a living wage. Uh, and I hope it, uh, I hope it illuminates and I hope it entertains. So like a lot of people, earlier this year, mid-March, I was very happy when the COVID relief bill passed because it did do a lot of good to help the United States recover from the pandemic, especially the economic impact that the pandemic had over the course of the year. But at the same time, like a lot of progressive-minded people, I was upset that one of the most crucial elements of the COVID bill did not make the final cut, quite literally, and that was the $15 minimum wage. This was a big item that the entire, or the majority, of the Democratic presidential candidates a year ago were campaigning on the idea of having a $15 minimum wage. And let me state it clearly and directly that we need to have a major increase in the minimum wage. $15 is the magic number that they're using, but it's there's a lot of points on that that I want to make. Anyway, unfortunately, when the bill passed the Senate, the $15 minimum wage got stripped away, which is how these things work. Um, I was upset that Biden and Harris didn't actually overrule the Senate parliamentarian and try to get it put back in. I was upset that none of the more progressive-leaning senators uh, tried to push for it, um, with the exception of Bernie Sanders, who tried to get it reintroduced as an amendment, and it failed. It failed with bipartisan support for its failure, I might point out. And some people, you know, Kristen Sinema, of course, gave it the famous Julius Caesar thumbs down, yes, you die kind of reaction when she came in during what were, what were they calling it, the Votorama. So that really irritated me. It, it really irritated me that the final bill did not have the $15 minimum wage. And at this point, I'm not entirely sure whether or not the powers that be will pursue it again or if they think that it's now a dead issue and they need to move on to more important things. But of course, when this debate started over whether or not the $15 minimum wage should be a reality, it's amazing. The trolls came out of the woodwork saying that $15 was too high for the minimum wage, that a $15 minimum wage was absolutely obnoxious, that, uh, that, that people who work minimum wage jobs should not earn that much. And, of course, from somebody like me, it immediately elicited eye rolls, this reaction. Because it's it's crabs in a bucket mentality. It's the crabs in the bucket, and they all just want to make sure that none of the others get out of it. And it's fucking ridiculous. But really, what upset me the most is the fact that most of these people, when they were coming out, most of these trolls, when they were coming out saying that the minimum wage should not be hiked up to $15. Um, they were usually using three main arguments to explain why they believed that the $15 minimum wage shouldn't be a reality. Number one, that people who work minimum wage don't deserve it. Number two, that giving people who flip burgers for a living is insulting to those who have college degrees and make the total amount per year with a college degree of that, and number three, that it would hurt small businesses. Well, first of all, before we get to those three things, let me point this out. $15 an hour is not a living wage. A lot of people love to point out that it could, could have been a living wage if we had adopted it about six years ago. I remember uh, you know, around that time, I was still in college, and there was a McDonald's very near the vicinity of my place of work. I had a part-time job when I was still a college student uh, in an accounting office, and 
A lot of the people who worked at this McDonald's went on strike to demand a $15 minimum wage. This was, again, six years ago, five, six years ago. 2015, so six years ago. And every single person who saw this demonstration just rolled their eyes at the proposition. It's like, you flip burgers, you fry french fries, you fill soft drinks, you do not deserve $15 an hour. You know, they condescended to these people working minimum wage. And it's really, really sad. It was sad then, it's sad now, because the argument they were using was that, um, you know, anybody could do your job. It's like, well, that's true, but not everybody wants to do their job. There's a reason why all these industries that pay the minimum wage, like retail, especially retail, uh, are constantly hiring. It's because there is usually about a 75% turnover rate in most of these areas, meaning that most of the people who get hired don't last there more than a month. Some of them don't even last a week because it's terrible. But it's $15 an hour at this point, because of the way the world is at the moment, because of the state of the economy, $15 an hour is not a living wage. And it certainly is not a living wage across the board, because you have to remember that every single state in the United States has a different standard of living. $15 minimum wage in some place like California is nothing. I, as a matter of fact, I think in certain parts of California, it's pretty close to being $15 an hour working a minimum wage job, and there's still a housing shortage out there because people can't even afford rent. In a place like Seattle, Washington, the hourly wage is $15 an hour, and it's still ridiculously expensive to live up there. But in some place like the Midwest, $15 an hour is actually you know, reasonably close to being a something akin to a living wage. It would be better if it were closer to 20. Actually, here in the middle of the country where I live, I live in Missouri, uh, $15 an hour is pretty reasonable. But it would actually be better if it were over 20. As a matter of fact, I actually crunch the numbers. Um, you know, having worked in an accountant's office, I know for a fact that the an average wage a decent wage if you want to live somewhere in the middle of the country, and most people don't uh, because we're so, we're cultural backwater here compared to the coast, but in order for it to be a living wage, the minimum wage to be a living wage now, and let's say a a living wage is about $50,000 a year, in order to make that kind of money, the minimum wage would have to be $24.05. How do I know that? Because I did the math. It's really, really sad when the world is so backward that a glorified clown with a podcast, a schmuck with a microphone, has to actually go out of his way to do math to make a frickin' point. But it's true. $24 just in order to make what would constitute a living wage out here, which is $50,000 a year, 50 k a year. $24.05. Multiply that by 40, that's $962 a week for 40 hours a week. Multiply that by 52, which is the number of weeks in a year, that's $50,024. That would be a living wage here in St. Louis or anywhere really in the Midwest. Because the Midwest is comparatively inexpensive to the Southwest, to Florida, to the Northeast, to California, to the Pacific Northwest. It's comparatively inexpensive. So in order to make that much, you know, it would need to be that. In order to make a living wage here, it would need to be $24.05. $15 an hour is a compromise between that and where it is now, which is $7.25. I should also point out that some states in this country don't have a state minimum wage. A lot of states across the country have been raising their minimum wages over the last several years. In my home state of Missouri, right now the minimum wage stands at $10.80. When Missouri is ahead of the curve on anything, you know that something is fucking wrong with the federal government. 
Missouri should not be a paragon of virtue about anything. But there are some states, a good example would be the state of Alabama, that don't have a federal minimum wage. I think there's at least, there's got to be at least 10. One-fifth of the states don't have a state minimum wage that's higher than the federal minimum wage, which means that their minimum wages are tied directly to the federal amount. That means that these people, unless they are working in industries that regularly give them raises, which let's face it, some of them are not, unless they're doing that, over the last 12 years, most of the people working in those states have not gotten a pay raise of any major substance. And they deserve that. But of course we didn't do it because the country was still recovering from a recession. And companies are not going to take a gamble for when a country has just gotten out of a recession. You know, a recession is almost like the economic version of, uh, of a recurring illness like pneumonia. You're always worried you're going to catch it again. You know, you get it, it's really bad, it goes away, but you know there's a possibility it could come back because that's how viruses like pneumonia work. It could flare up again, and boom, you're, you're screwed. And that's where we are now. We got it, 2008. We recovered, we recovered, we recovered, we recovered. The economy got to the soaring height during the Trump era, and then we're back in the crapper again. Yeah, crippled by pneumonia again. But put that aside, I want to talk a little bit about those three arguments that I mentioned earlier, that people who work the minimum wage don't deserve a higher wage, that it's insulting to people who have college educations who are making that about now, and finally, that it hurts small businesses. Let's deal with the first one. There are some people who really honestly believe that the minimum wage should not be a living wage because it should be a starting wage. And it should encourage people, you know, through that pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps mentality to get the hell out of that job and to better themselves. Well, maybe a long time ago that was a possibility. The last decade and a smidge, that has not been the possibility. Because even if you get a college education, you can't get a better job. Because there are no jobs, apparently. And college is expensive. Because we've cut funding from the universities. And so the other option is to go to a trade school. Most trade schools are private. And that means they're even more expensive which means people have to take out loans, which means they're going to be saddled with loans long after they get their apprenticeships over with them, long after they get their trade diplomas. So they're going to be in this massive hole that they're going to have to dig their way out of. And also, let's point out the obvious elephant in a room. Most of the people who are asking for this, who are begging for an increase in a minimum wage, work in retail. And what, for the last year, have we been calling these people? Essential workers. We say they're so important. We pat them on the back. We treat them like they're heroes. That is until they actually ask for a reward for their heroism which is a wage that can actually get them out of poverty. And then immediately, everybody doesn't want any. It's like, are you kidding? We're not going to do that for you. Screw you, burger flipper. Bullshit. Anybody who honestly says that about somebody working for minimum wage right now, you're a fucking hypocrite. You're a terrible human being, and you should be ashamed of yourself. Yes, I am shaming you. You know who you are. If you're listening to this, I hope you feel terrible about yourself because you're a fucking hypocrite. You're a terrible person. And you need to be dragged through the mud because you treat these people like they matter only when they actually... When there's a crisis. Only when there's a crisis. And now they're actually asking for some better treatment and you're treating them like they're not people again. It's ridiculous. 
and you should feel like shit for saying that, and for thinking that. Second argument. That people who work the minimum wage, making a living wage, would be insulting to people who have a college education, making uh, roughly the same. Okay, somebody who's making federal minimum wage of $15 an hour for 40 hours a week, they're making about $600 a week, 52 weeks of the year, that's $31,200. A lot of people, whenever they bring up this argument, they love to point out that that's usually the starting salary of most teachers working in public schools. And they say that it would be insulting to give a burger flipper who has no college degree the same amount of money a year as a teacher who dedicated themselves to getting into one of the professions, arguably the most important profession, and and paying them equal. So you're saying this person who has a college degree should be equal to this person who has no college degree and makes french fries for a living. And on one level, they're right. It would be terrible to pay those people the same because of the levels of education and skill that are required to do what they do. Again, not everybody can teach. Most people can fry french fries if they want to. Most people just don't want to because that job sucks. But they're framing the question wrong. They're framing it wrong. It's not that the burger flipper and french fry maker should get paid less, it's that the teacher should get paid more. It's my personal opinion that teachers, that teaching, is the single most important profession in the world. I'd put it above doctor, lawyer, and dentist any goddamn day of the week. Everybody in the healthcare field should kowtow to teachers for one simple reason. Because in order to get those people in those professions, they have to be fucking taught how to do what they do. Granted, they're being taught by people within their own professions. There's not a single person in law school who's teaching as a professor who isn't an actual lawyer. There's not a single professor in a medical school who isn't an actual doctor. There's not a single person in dental school who hasn't drilled a tooth before. But at the same time, they have to have the ability to pass on their knowledge to the next generation. And let's forego the highbrowness. Let's go lowbrow. Well, not lowbrow, but work. Let, let's go trade school. Trade school instead. Can't believe I said lowbrow. That's terrible of me. But let's go trade school instead. How do most people who become plumbers, electricians, and HVAC guys learn how to do what they do? They train as apprentices at the side of an actual master of what they do. And what they do is incredibly tactile. It's a different kind of thing compared to being a lawyer, but it's nonetheless important. And it's also important that that person learns properly. And in order to learn properly, they need a good teacher. A teacher who knows what they're doing. No teachers, no nothing else. You get nothing else. They should be paid more. But that, unfortunately, is a separate argument. Because most teachers are government employees. They work for the public school systems. They work for public school districts. And their raises and their and their wages need to be raised. We need to give them more money so that way they can be paid more for what they do. Starting teacher salary, at least here in the state of Missouri, ought to be $50,000 at least. Maybe even 70 or 80 Because of how important their jobs are. But most people don't, who are in the teaching profession don't even end up doing that. Because it takes them 10 to 15 years in order to get to that level of salary. Stupid. let's deal with the third problem, the third argument, the third set of arguments. A lot of people say that raising the minimum wage could potentially hurt small businesses, and to a certain extent there is some truth to that. Small businesses are oftentimes the ones who feel the greatest impact 
when it comes to expenditure. Because they don't have the vast resources that, say, a Walmart or Target or JCPenney have in terms of uh, work, in terms of you know corporate workforce and corporate funding. Small business, they're kind of they're on their own. But at the same time, if your small business's viability depends upon so strongly, so strongly depends upon you underpaying your employees who bring in your money, then honestly, fuck your small business. Fuck it into the ground. Fuck your small business. Capitalism is a bitch. Capitalism is the economic equivalent of Darwinism. The strongest survive, the people who can adapt, the weak die. And because we live in a capitalist society, you just gotta live with that. If you can't handle the added expense, then maybe you shouldn't exist anymore. Or you should learn how to adapt. Those are your options. Adapt or die. Adapt or die. It's the it's the way it is in nature. It's the way it is in the capitalistic marketplace. So, will we actually end up getting a $15 minimum wage? I don't know. I don't know. I seriously don't know. Because we had a chance. We had a chance. But the people we thought we're going to fight for it, didn't. Will more opportunities present themselves? Possibly. But honestly, at this point, when it comes to politics, while one should never give up hope in your country doing better by its people, it's also ill-advised to hold one's breath because there's a very good chance you could suffocate. I do have to admit one more thing uh, before I let you go this evening. I did sort of semi uh, <laughs> do something after that uh that incident, I did sort of pull a total dickish 180, uh, because that's in my nature, because this was, this was the semi-sensible mature reaction of a, well, not even a semi-sensible mature reaction, this was the reaction of somebody who does not like being told what to think and what to do, and does not like being corrected, or, or called out, or, or shamed, uh, to use that word that uh, a lot of people love whipping out these days, uh, on Twitter, on a public platform. Uh, so, this was my reaction. After I deleted those tweets, what I did is I then went back on, because I was not going to be chased off this platform, I went back on Twitter and I tweeted out two things. The first was this. It's come to my attention that some people don't like the phrase, those who can do, those who can't teach. They consider it denigrating to the teaching profession, which is the most important profession out there. Without good teachers, you don't get any other profession. So that's the first part. That sounds mature, that sounds reasonable, that sounds like I've learned something. But then, because I'm such a dick, I just couldn't allow things to slide. I couldn't let them lay there that way. So I then turned that tweet into a thread and replied to it with this. Perhaps then a better phrase would be, those who can do, those who know, pass on their wisdom, experience, and enthusiasm. Doesn't exactly fit on a bumper sticker or roll off the tongue with a plum, but it is more accurate. Because... For whatever reason, whenever somebody, even when somebody justifiably calls me out on my bullshit, I can't help but basically give them the finger as they're doing it. But then again, I think that's the human reaction, and I'm perfectly willing to admit it, that that's not the mature way to handle these things. 
that's not the mature way to uh, to react to being called out. But it is how it happened. It's what I did, and those tweets are still out there. And I stand by what I said. I still think that that's probably a more re- uh, more accurate depiction of teaching. Because really, teaching, fundamentally, that's what you're doing. You gather up all this knowledge about a subject, sometimes a subject that you once maybe wished to engage in yourself, and or did engage in, because that was a that was a point that actually uh, a, a few very smart people in one of those threads did point out is the fact that a lot of teachers, especially in like places like law school, um, are people within the profession. That's true. Um, in dental schools, in medical schools, in law schools, the people who are doing the teaching are people who've actually practiced in the field. They have experience. They have real-world experience. They they know that world because and even you know. Let's not even get high-minded about it. Let's think low. Let's go um, to the trades. I was about to say low-minded. That's terrible. Um, but let's go to the trades. Uh, welding, plumbing, electrician. How do you learn how to do these things? You become an apprentice. You become an apprentice. You learn at the heel or at the at the side of somebody who's a master of what they do. And yeah, it's tactile. It's not really intellectual, but it's a skill that most people don't know how to use, don't know how to employ. Uh, there's a reason why electricians can charge you out the ass for what they do, because what they do is very skillful, crafted work. Um, And we should be thankful for them, especially if you live in a part of the country where you experience this thing called cold. You know, without electricity, your furnace is not going to work. Without electricity, you don't have light at night anymore, unless you invest in candles. So, I'll admit it. You know, I, I, I understand why the phrase, those who can do, those who can't teach. I understand why that sounds dismissive. I get it. That, and that's really what the whole point of this fiasco was, was to point out that this is rather dismissive of the entire profession. But I hope I clarified that that was not the intention. Because the problem with Twitter, and I'm going to reiterate this again, and I'm going to hammer it away until people start listening to me, which of course they won't, but I'm still going to hammer away at it. The problem with Twitter is the fact that it is a platform that allows you to separate text from context. And it's a platform that also has, in many ways, stripped people of the ability to understand nuance and to make allowances for nuance. People take what they read on Twitter absolutely literally. And not just Twitter, all social media. They take everything they read on social media absolutely literally, unless there's a fucking emoji next to it that says, haha, joke. You know, that signals that it's not serious. And, you know, that's a that's a downside. They take it literally, and then in the, in the case of that quoted tweet, like I mentioned earlier, they strip it away from the context. You know, they, they, that, that guy who, who called me out, again, rightly so, in, in his way, uh, for using that phrase, uh, took it out of context and just allowed the phrase to stand alone and ridiculed it, which, you know, no matter how justifiable it is, is still a dick thing to do in many ways, uh, especially when you don't follow the guy, but this happens, it happened, uh, and hopefully it'll never happen again, because, you know, I'm, I'm a total phobic when it comes to public humiliation, or embarrassment of any kind, it just, it's not something that it's in my makeup to cope with well, so it, I've learned my lesson, and we shall move on, we shall move on, we shall go on, and hopefully we can make a better world, and I'll try to be a better person myself, Uh, in future, but I'm making no promises that I will.
Hey, funny people. If you enjoy what I do here on Four Cents a Podcast, then consider becoming a supporter of the show. I know times are tough and money's tight, but even just a little bit helps. If you're interested, go to anchor.fm slash four cents a podcast and click on the support button to learn how. Thanks for listening. Hey, funny people. Thanks for spending some time with me here on Four Cents a Podcast. Until next we meet, stay safe, stay healthy, and bear in mind the words of the great poet Langston Hughes, Folks, birthing is hard, and dying is mean. So get yourself a little lovin' in between. I'll see you next time.